Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy. White, white, white supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence of racism. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. Hello again, lovely listeners. Are you ready for episode six? Ready to have your brains melted by some good old rational takes again? Alrighty then, strap in. The last time we stopped just before I wanted to dive into the topic of Sam's favorite feminist. Well, of course you deserve to know more about this hero who he's endlessly defended and promoted. But before we unwrap some of Ayan Hirsi Ali's extremely high-level ideas... Let me just take a minute to say thank you to all the wonderful patrons who make this kind of deep dive work possible. Without your support, I simply couldn't do it. It really, really means so much to me. And thank you guys for all your wonderful feedback, your emails and messages and comments. That's what keeps me going. I love hearing from other ex-New Atheist-y types and other ex-Sam Harris fans who've started to see through his repackaged Fox News bullshit. It really makes me feel not so alone in the atheist sphere anymore. So keep it coming. I'm actually considering that maybe towards the end of this miniseries, I might do an episode of, like, clips from a bunch of ex Scam Harris fans and ex-New Atheist D-types. I haven't made a final decision on it yet, but we'll see how it fits in as the series progresses. In any case, if that applies to you and you'd possibly like to be featured, if I do such an episode, then get in touch via Patreon or Twitter or email so I know where to find you. And... As always, if you enjoy the show and would like to see it continue to survive and thrive, then please consider supporting on Patreon. And if you can't do that, you can always support it by retweeting or sharing the podcast. Early on, the episodes come out as Patreon exclusives, but eventually they are released into the wild. Episodes 1 to 5 should be available on all your podcatchers and Spotify too. Anywho, let's get into it. Where were we? Ah, yes. Ayan Hirsi Ali. Sam's idea of a wonderful role model, human rights and women's rights activist. What's she been up to? Well, she's been out there saying embarrassing shit like cancel culture is coming for Ghislaine Maxwell, who was charged with assisting literal convicted child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, for fuck's sake. 
and also came out in support of Brett Kavanaugh on who Sam actually had a rare, decent take. But, you know, since they love having difficult conversations so much, their reunion on Ayan's podcast was spent criticizing the left and wokeness and Islam and various minorities. No discussion on the far right or the insurrection or why Ayan the feminist was posting in support of Trump all the way till the insurrection. And this is what Ayan said recently in another interview on Brett Kavanaugh. The disappointing thing was Me Too was now no longer just about giving women a voice who needed a voice, but it was taking those stories and hijacking them for political ends. I don't like what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. That made me so upset. I have to say that uh, I've decided I'm not going to have anything to do with the Democratic Party after that. Because it was so in-your-face hijacking of that particular issue uh, to get an individual I had never heard of before, never met, never seen, didn't know. And I thought, you know, if you want uh, to vet a judge for the Supreme Court, you know, subject him or her uh, to the highest levels of vetting, please go ahead and do that. But to accuse him uh, and of gang rape, of the, the things that were going on then, I thought that's not good for women. It's not good for men. It's actually not good for a free society that prides itself on the rule of on the rule of law. Yeah. And it, it, it has I, intellectually actually scarred me because I, I just I think of it as wow. I thought these people are just really just as nasty as some of the the politicians that we post in Africa. Not only that, but she's out there on Joe Rogan engaging in anti-lockdown, COVID downplaying bullshit. And she has the nerve to say that people shouldn't let the left invoke science because they are anti-science. Apparently, if you believe COVID is bad, you have to buy into transphobic nonsense too. But she isn't even internally consistent on that because later in the conversation, she spends time downplaying the threats of COVID herself. Before you got me into your studio, you had me get tested for COVID as you did for others. That's objective truth. We have to get tested so that you and I both feel safe and we're here. So we can't, when it comes to science, we can't pick and choose and say, you know, when it comes to certain things that suit me, I agree to objective truth and science. But then when the other things that don't suit me, when I want to pretend that there are 10 or 12 or 1400 gender differences, in that case, science is racist. Racist? What? Has <laughs> she gotten her anti-SJW talking points mixed up? And science is wrong, and there's no science. It's all about subjectivity. And I think it's for the wider population to come out and say, well, you can't pick and choose. And I would say, in many ways, that's the basis of science, is that it's not in anyone's favor. Science doesn't understand ideology. Uh, this virus, uh, whatever it is, the Wuhan virus, I don't care what name you give it. How about COVID-19? 
we didn't know a lot about the virus, but the more we find out, the more we adapt, the more you would think that some of these intrusions into our privacy, into our liberty, that, that would, you know, it would stop and we, we would be able to be free. And in some countries, and even in some states here, people are still insisting that the government has those powers. The government still has control over, my husband is from the UK, and I just asked, you know, uh, who has been to see your mother? We call her granny. Who has been to see granny? Uh, well, uh, daughter and boyfriend, but they were sitting outside. Why can't they sit inside? And he says, well, the rules haven't changed yet. But there's something in me that asks myself, who's enforcing those rules? Not very pro-science there. Yeah. And why, in the age of testing, are those rules applicable? They can't sit inside because it'd be dangerous, and mostly for Granny. Unless everyone in the situation is vaccinated. But this interview is from early March, so she doesn't make that clear at all. So why initially, I think we were all in agreement, was to curtail the virus. But why the rules are still in place when the threat is gone? That's a very good question. The threat is not gone. For fuck's sake, what world are they living in? Well, why wouldn't we understand what the virus is now? The rules were put in place when we thought it was the Black Plague. I mean, we thought it was going to be like the Spanish flu and and kill a, a vast majority or a large percentage rather of the population it's not it's not the same thing it's still terrible for the people that get it and die and the people that have poor health and the people that have underlying conditions and comorbidities but it's not what we thought it was going to be but we're still treating it like we treated it a year ago we're looking at it the same way we looked at it in march of last year i think what bothers me you're absolutely right but what bothers me now is that it's not even possible to have a debate about that right and and that so anytime people say you should be suspicious of government don't give government any powers because once they have that power they won't give it back yes. i think those people are being vindicated in the sense that uh, and i would say in the past no of course not if there's no need for government to have that power they'll give it back but now this government wants to just skip the power even though the threat is gone 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 catching it. You can stay home. You can social distance. You can wear masks. You can exercise in the park, out in nature, but you can't because the park's shut, because they're worried about COVID. Like, these are some of the rules that people have had to deal with over this past year. Nonsensical rules, like you can't go to the park. You you can't go to the beach. It's nonsense. And everybody knows it's nonsense, and it's not science-based. When they say follow the science, well, you're not following the science. Because if you did follow the science, you'd let people do anything they wanted outside. Because the science clearly shows it doesn't spread outside how harmful to give people a full sense of security like this that it doesn't spread at all outside i mean this is not true as we're going through our third wave here in canada we've just heard reports from alberta's top doctor saying that outdoor transmission has been increasing i mean sure rates of transmission are lower outside but That's not to the point where you should be able to do anything and everything in as big a crowd as you like. The variants have increased the risk 
even of being outdoors. So this is just highly irresponsible. I mean, they're conflating two very different things here. Yes, it's definitely less risky outdoors. That is clear. But that is very different from saying there are zero risks and that it is impossible to spread the virus outdoors. According to them, it'd be fine to have crowded beach parties all day every day. And no, it, it isn't. Well, if you follow the science, you'd say, let us have a debate, and you'd have an open debate where you let both sides speak out. Yes. What we are now seeing, and it is absolutely horrifying, is that you let one side, the side that's speaking for lockdown, invoke science and say the science says lockdown. But the other scientists who are saying, no, not so fast, and those ones are not allowed to speak. Both sides of the lockdown debate in a fucking pandemic. Really? This is the woman Sam still wants to throw his weight behind. Even now, this is the woman he wants to elevate and uplift as a real feminist, as a champion of human rights, as a logical, rational thinker. A Somali woman, right, who just recapitulated the entire Enlightenment success story of of reclaiming secularism and modernity and humanistic values in her own case in a few short years. I love evolved Christianity because yeah, me too. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's shared all of these. You know, the problem that I have with Islam is it, it's still in its seventh century uh, mindset. Here's our rational thinker doing a video for fucking Prager You. Christian culture and perhaps a more upward civilization has produced over time the law codes, language, and material prosperity that have greatly elevated women's status. But this progress is not shared everywhere. Here she is in Australia suggesting that evangelists target Muslim communities and work on converting them all. What a great secular humanist role model. Granted, this was a few years ago, but I haven't seen or heard her retract these absurd recommendations. In your book, you suggest that Christian organizations uh, head into Muslim communities and evangelize. Uh, Given that most of the Christian organizations that do evangelize are pretty fundamentalist, wouldn't you just be replacing one fundamentalist ideology with another? I like the applause. And I want to challenge those people who are applauding how they think that they can um, challenge radical Islam in schools, in Muslim centers. You know, how can we win the hearts and minds of those 1.57 billion people to believe in something else other than what the radical Muslims are proselytizing because they are winning the argument and they're working hard to do it. Many people within that demography do not want to become atheists. That is a reality I've come to accept. So given that fact, there would be nothing wrong 
and in fact everything right and maybe a better alternative to military wars, to bombings and law enforcement officials to compete for the hearts and minds of those 1.57 billion people in every way we can. The Christian churches, the Catholic churches and the Protestant churches, the modern ones, are already established and know how to do that. And here she is on CNN. Perhaps it's better for Muslims to move away from Islam altogether and seek a different source of morality. Those who want a God should forsake Allah and find a God like Jesus Christ. Christ, you know, I'm not a Christian, but Christ, as he has evolved in the concept of the people who believe in him, has become this cuddly God who is all about love and paternity. And, and I think maybe for those Muslims, especially those who are seeking a better life coming to America, perhaps it's, it's better for them not to just leave their home behind, but also their God behind. Recapitulated the entire Enlightenment success story of, of reclaiming secularism and modernity and humanistic values. Secularism and modernity and humanistic values. Secularism and modernity and humanistic values. It's incredible his inability to look at things critically because he's so blinded by ideology. He is everything he accuses the left of. And To briefly revisit the theme from last time, there's certainly no identity politics or anti-woke tribalism evident in the fact that he won't even care or acknowledge or specifically call out when so many of his own IDW pals have been spreading COVID conspiracies and dangerous misinformation versus how he talks about scientists and public health officials who are apparently capitulating to wokeness because they expressed solidarity with BLM protests last summer. He has fear-mongered about those protests so many times on his podcast, and Reddit user FubsyGamer put it better than I could, so I'll just read out some excerpts from their post. I believe Sam is spreading misinformation and fake news about the consensus of science on BLM protests in the summer. Over the past six months, Sam has brought up the BLM summer protests multiple times as a place of cognitive dissonance in the public, and seems to almost always portray the scientific consensus in the same way. He claims that scientists feel like it was of absolutely no epidemiological concern, and that there was a breakdown of spreading valid public health information. Here are a couple of quotes of his. This one's from episode 207. Quote, People have been unable to be with their loved ones in their last hours of life. They've been unable to hold funerals for them. But now we have doctors and public health officials and news anchors by the thousands signing open letters, making public statements saying it's fine to stand shoulder to shoulder with others in the largest protests our nation has ever seen. End quote. And now from episode 233. Quote, 
There were open letters signed by literally thousands of doctors and public health professionals in support of these protests as though they posed absolutely no epidemiological concern. All of the right-wing protests were murderously irresponsible, right? They castigated the right over gathering, unmasked in public. But then we had protests from the left that were aligned with the political priors of most people in journalism, which were an order of magnitude larger and from a, you know, apart from some more mask wearing, definitely looked riskier than anything that was happening on the right. And yet there was not only silence around this, there was absolute support from public health people. This was a complete breakdown of spreading valid public health information. End quote. And then Reddit user Fubsy Gamer goes on to say, I challenge Sam to read the open letter on his podcast and then read his own comments about the letter and tell himself he's not spreading misinformation. He is hugely mischaracterizing the contents and intention of the letter, which talks of social distancing, wearing masks, staying at home while sick, wearing face and eye protection, and alternate forms of protest. Here is an excerpt. Now, this is from the open letter signed by public health officials. Reject messaging that face coverings are motivated by concealment and instead celebrate face coverings as protective of the public's health in the context of COVID-19. Prepare for an increased number of infections in the days following a protest. Provide increased access to testing and care for people in the affected communities, especially when they or their family members put themselves at risk by attending protests. Support the health of protesters by encouraging the following. Use of face coverings, distance of at least six feet between protesters where possible, demonstrating consistently alongside close contacts and moving together as a group rather than extensively intermingling with multiple groups, staying at home when sick, and using other platforms to oppose racism for high-risk individuals and those unable or uncomfortable to attend in person. Encourage allies who may wish to facilitate safe demonstrations through the following, providing masks, hand washing stations or hand sanitizer to demonstrators, providing eye protection such as face shields or goggles for protection against COVID-19 and chemical irritants used to disperse crowds, providing chalk markings or other designations to encourage appropriate distancing between protesters, supplying ropes which can be knotted at six-foot intervals to allow people to march together while maintaining spacing. Now, do you believe that Sam characterized the letter appropriately? Does it sound like the people who signed this letter felt that it was of absolutely no epidemiological concern or that there was a breakdown of spreading valid public health information or that they thought it was just fine? to stand shoulder to shoulder. I wouldn't have brought this up again, except he keeps repeating the same misinformation over and over. To me, this is a very definition of fake news. Yeah, I gotta agree there. What Sam's doing here is concern trolling. Were his motivations just about the spread of COVID-19, or were they also to do with how much he hates BLM? We can't know what's in his heart, of course. But his lack of real concern and lack of urgency regarding his own buddies spreading dangerous misinformation about the virus makes me think there might be some other motivations at play here. Now, we're lucky that because people were responsible and mostly masking up and outdoors... 
There weren't massive amounts of cases linked to those protests as far as I know, but it is absolutely untrue that public health officials weren't concerned about virus spread at all. And to compare people's attitudes to these racial justice protests, to their attitudes to right-wing, anti-mask, anti-lockdown protests is really fucking bullshit because one of these things is bad and a dangerous cause and the other is a noble, important, urgent matter of life and death that people should have a different attitude about. And not to mention that many, many people on the left as well were legitimately concerned about the effects of mass protests during a pandemic. No one really knew how it was going to play out, but people understood the differences between anti-lockdown and anti-mask protests and the urgency of these racial justice protests. And you know Sam, he doesn't do identity politics. In fact, he just released a short nine-minute clip recently about how he knows what he's talking about and how people just can't understand that he's on some next level of non-tribalism. Because he meditates, guys. And he just happens to have a handy little app that he sells that will help you join his cult. I mean, meditate with him and achieve true rationality. No, really, buy his app, or, you know, because he's so kind and generous, he will even offer it to you for free if you need it and ask for it. Not like this is some marketing pitch to most people who will actually buy it or anything. He's just a very generous guy who happens to have just the thing that'll put you on the same rational plane as him. My experience in meditation largely defines my politics, too. For instance, how can I be so sure that the explosion of identity politics that we see all around us isn't a sign of progress? How can I know that it's an ethical and psychological dead end to be deeply identified with one's race, for instance, and that all the people who are saying that there's no way to get past race in our politics are just confused? Well, because I know that a person need not even identify with the face he sees in the mirror each day. In fact, the deeper you examine your experience, the more you discover that freedom ultimately depends on not identifying with anything, even with how you look in the mirror. You simple wokes cannot even begin to comprehend his magnificence. He is so beyond the identity politics of mere mortals that he's just a floating blob that doesn't even identify with his own face. How much more so is it unnecessary to identify with millions of strangers who just happen to look like you in that they have the same skin color? In light of what's possible, psychologically and interpersonally, in light of what is actually required to get over yourself and to experience genuine compassion for other human beings, it is a form of mental illness to go through life identified, really identified with one's race. It's just a bad dream. Of course, to say that, as a white guy, in the current environment, is to stand convicted of racial insensitivity and even seeming indifference to the problem of racism in our society. Identifying with your race because you're discriminated and judged constantly and specifically based on that? Psh, weak. 
float free in space like the wise one who, you know, doesn't even experience racism like ever, so is totally qualified to lecture people on the subject. I mean, what greater symptom of white privilege could there be than to declare that we should just all get past race? That's a retort that I believe I can hear percolating in the minds of many listeners. Um, yeah, because it's true. He doesn't even attempt to respond to that. And most well-intentioned people have been successfully bullied by that kind of response. Aw, Sam, you're such a brave hero, challenging the woke orthodoxy of mm, people who don't experience racism ever probably maybe don't understand it as well as people who experience it on a daily basis. How much easier would it be to back down here and just say, sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just a white guy. There are massive incentives to take that path. Yeah, definitely no incentives to being part of a far-right, sanitizing, race science reviving IDW that sold out auditoriums all over the world. But to insist upon the primacy of race is to be obscenely confused about human potential and about society's potential. And I'm not going to pretend to be unaware of that. Sure, if only we all had the luxury of ignoring race and moving past it. It sure would make things a lot easier if we could do that, except we're reminded every fucking day of racial inequality. It's not a choice people make, you dumbass. It's a response to how they're being treated out in the world. So when I'm talking about racial politics on this podcast, I am also talking about meditation, even though the topic would never come up in that context. And when some of my critics say that I'm just practicing my own version of identity politics, I'm in a position to say bullshit. Based on what? To be clear, I'm not claiming to be fully enlightened. I'm definitely still a work in progress. But there are certain things that I actually understand about my own mind and about the mind in general. And the idea that racial identity is something that we can't get past is total bullshit. Well, what's stalling us is all the, you know, racism. If we can get rid of that, we'll get past it. You'll never see Sam focusing his efforts in that direction, though. Insights into the nature of mind can't help but touch politics. Over at Waking Up. What I'm building at Waking Up is the laboratory where you can run this same experiment for yourself. And there's really no substitute for doing that. I mean, you can pretend to want to integrate your intellectual and ethical and political life. Or you can really want to do it and to discover all the ways in which you have failed to do it so far. Again, I'm not claiming to have everything figured out. I'm very much in the process of still figuring things out. I'm still figuring things out, but also I am right and everyone else is wrong. Each of us has to negotiate the terms of our disenchantment with who we were yesterday and with the ways in which culture distracts and misleads us. And that's what I'm doing over at Waking Up. So if you haven't checked it out recently, I just want to invite you to do that. 
especially if you think you know what meditation is and you think it's not relevant for you. I can virtually guarantee that you're mistaken about that. And if you can't afford a subscription... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can't afford a subscription, he'll even let you sign up for the cult, I mean app, for free. No one else in the entire universe is this kind and generous. Never before has anyone thought of giving out free samples. That was a strange-ass infomercial for his own app. Completely free of any promotional motivations, of course. Sam is far too unbiased and rational for that sort of thing. (laughs) But speaking of bizarre infomercials, this is not the only one he's put out recently. You see, he's so above anti-woke, anti-left, anti-BLM tribalism that he had on a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy just recently whose family has extensive far-right connections and who literally teaches cops how to do chokeholds. Yeah, Sam had him on to talk about police violence and police misconduct. Who could possibly be a better guest for that topic? I mean, this dude refuses to comment on his family's far-right connections, champions his grandfather's jiu-jitsu prowess, but has no comment on his ties to fascism. And also, according to him, police violence is pretty much never driven by racism in the U.S., but rather by the officers becoming emotionally overwhelmed. An amygdala hijack is how he refers to it. And this entire episode of Sam's was a one-hour, 40-minute-long advertisement for the guy's business. (laughs) Sam really loves those difficult conversations. And by that, I mean he loves having his biases reinforced and having people on to tell him exactly what he wants to hear. They didn't even lightly touch upon the topic of racism and policing, other than Sam making excuses for the cop that shot Dante Wright and said she thought it was her taser right at the top of the episode. People are just misunderstanding the police again and again and again, you see. And you could understand things properly if you just bought his app. And the police could do better if they just had more Brazilian jiu-jitsu training and uh, knew some more chokeholds. <laughs> what a fucking conversation to have against the backdrop of all this police violence making the news right now. And the Derek Chauvin trial as well, which hadn't yet concluded when this conversation was bestowed upon the public. There's been the case of Dante Wright, a motorist who was shot and killed by a police officer in Minnesota. And this, if you've seen the video, it's about as clear as it can be that the police officer, Kimberly Ann Potter, thought she was drawing her taser when she was in fact drawing her firearm. And when she shot Dante Wright, she was horrified to discover that she had her gun in hand. As you'll hear, this is relevant because the police reliance on tasers is not without significant risk. Uh, In this case, risk of the extremely negative outcome of drawing your firearm by accident. But the overall picture here is that our police officers are shockingly ill-equipped to deal with the challenges they face. So when members of the general public believe they're witnessing the murderous sadism and racism 
of an oppressive police force. In many cases, that's not at all what's on display. That's not at all what's on display. That's not at all what's on display. What we're seeing are people who are poorly trained and very much in over their heads once things turn violent. And I really don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the pervasive misunderstanding, the pervasive misunderstanding, 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 misunderstanding of what's happening here is tearing our country apart. Defending and making excuses for the cops in a way even Pat fucking Robertson didn't. On this issue, even Pat Robertson is to the left of Sam. Huh. Now how she made the difference was she shot that poor guy to death saying, this is what I thought, this is what I thought was my taser. And, and if you can't tell the difference in the field, those things is crazy. Anyhow, she deserves, but I, you know, I am pro-police, folks. I think we need the police. We need uh, their servants, and they do a good job. But if they don't stop this onslaught, they cannot do this. You know, the, the police in, in Virginia picked up a, a lieutenant in the Army and began to give him trouble. And, and our, our, our state police are highly trained. But why they don't stop this? And this thing is going on in Minnesota, but the Derek Chauvin, I mean, they ought to put him under the jail. He has caused so much trouble by kneeling on the, the death of George Floyd. It's just, I mean, on his neck. It's just terrible what's happening. And the police, why don't they open their eyes to what the public relations are? They've got to stop this stuff. But even the best cop, the best character, moral character, best values, the best cop on the planet, let's just say, the second they're in a situation that they are not prepared to handle non-violently, they're gonna handle it violently. By non-violently, he means chokeholds, by the way. Yeah, well, not only that, they have a duty to handle it violently. 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 Because I want to come back to that one detail you brought into play here. So when, when you're dealing with a cop, there's always a gun on the table. I mean, this is something that people just simply do not have intuitions about. So when you see some of these videos where someone starts resisting arrest and they start, you know, pushing a cop or, you know, grabbing, you know, the cop tries to, to restrain someone, tries to start cuffing someone. They start resisting, they start pushing back, it becomes a grappling match. Or, you know, the guy's girlfriend runs up and grabs the cop to stop him from trying to cuff the boyfriend or whatever it is. Whenever you put your hands on a cop, this, in the cop's mind, very, very quickly has to be perceived as a fight for his or her gun. That's what will happen if you overpower the cop. In the cop's universe, that is an absolutely bright line that cannot be crossed. And yet in the thinking of so many people, 
who just think they shouldn't be arrested for whatever reason. It just seems like fair play, you know? It's like, if the cop pushes me, I can push him back, I can grab him, I can punch him. You know, it's like, it's completely inappropriate for a cop at that point to draw his gun and shoot somebody. But the cop doesn't know what you're going to do if you knock him out, right? He has to assume the worst, that what you're going to do to him and to the, the rest of the public that he's, he or she's pledged to protect. And so the presence of the cop's firearm changes everything. And then there's the additional fact that people have terrible intuitions for what is truly threatening from the cop's point of view with respect to what a person can be doing with their hands. I mean, it's just the moment someone sticks their hands in the, in the pocket of their hoodie or they turn around and grab something off the front seat of their car and they're not following directions, the moment your hands go out of sight, that is a five-alarm fire from the cop's point of view. And it has to be because every cop knows of the case where a half a second later, that hand that just disappeared is now holding a gun and it's shooting a cop in the face, right? And all of those videos exist. Virtually 99% of people are unable to rationally interpret what they see when they see these videos of arrests going haywire. Yeah, I really like that, Sam. And I think that it's a very valid point, 100%. You have to reflect on how you have a video in the first place. You've got members of the public videotaping this altercation between a cop and somebody else. And the bias, the default bias from the public is that the use of force by the cop is often illegitimate. So in many of these videos, I don't remember in that one in particular, but in many, you're seeing people basically you know, take the suspect's side of whatever this altercation is, and they're shouting at the cop, you know, just leave him alone. But what, what's not happening in these videos, and, and what certainly wasn't happening in that one, were members of the public helping the cop. It would, it would have just taken a few other people to help me, you know, granted this, in an ideal world, this wouldn't ever be necessary because the cops would be sufficiently well-trained and in sufficient number to meet any challenge that they're dealing with. But, I mean, here you have a very clear case of this thing is escalating to a lethal use of force and it would have been rendered totally unnecessary if you just had a few other people grab an arm and a leg and, and help the cop you know, de-escalate this situation. At this point, morale is somewhere near an all-time low in police forces across the country, just given what has happened to public perception since the killing of George Floyd. So it's got to be a very difficult time to recruit good people to the force. Never been harder. Never been harder, Sam. And I have my best friends are cops. Like I have in every state from all these courses that we've taught and all these relationships we've made. And I've never heard the the the, the eagerness towards retirement that I'm hearing right now. They say, Henry, this is not it's not worth it anymore. It's a lost cause. They've disincentivized us from now controlling suspects, violent criminals. We cannot put the knee on their torso. We cannot put our, our hips. We cannot sit in the most gentle, effective ground control positions. And here's what I said, and as this is all public. I said, New York, watch what's going to happen. By criminalizing the least violent ground control positions that have been used for thousands of years in martial arts of all grappling kinds, by criminalizing the least violent control methods, you are now encouraging and incentivizing the use of more violent control tactics. Taser, baton, firearm. Punches, closed fist, blunt object strikes. 
You have four cops trying to control one person by their limbs because they're not allowed to put any contact on the torso and controlling someone by their limbs. Imagine trying to get a little kid who doesn't want to go to bed and trying to drag them by their arm or leg and they're twisting and turning. Now they're violently twisting and turning. You can't just grab their torso, pick them up and walk them to the bedroom and put them to sleep. Do you understand? So it's so as a result in this particular video that I'm talking about, the cops start punching the guy excessively. And then the video goes viral because of the excessive punches. But the general public sees that video and they don't realize the reason all those punches were necessary, the reason all those punches were necessary, the reason all those punches were necessary was because the, the officers were legally prevented from using more gentle mount controls. They wouldn't have required five officers if they knew basic mount. And now, because New York City's a lost cause, I'm setting my sights on being very vocal about how disastrous and how counterproductive this, this, this new bill has become and, and warning other states that if they engage in this same type of reform where you just strip officers from these nonviolent control tactics as, a, as really a, a, a gross overreaction to their aversion to neck restraints. Really, it kind of it all started with neck restraints, right? Oh, neck restraints, and then, you know, things happen, and there's videos go viral, and they say, okay, let's not do anything, even touch their torso, because the, the diaphragm, they can't breathe as easily when you're laying on their hips. And as a result of that, you know, it's all downhill from there. This is when a person grabs someone, reaches around their, their throat with their arm from behind, and the elbow, the crook of the elbow is now aligned kind of with, with the subject's chin and they are squeezing, it's called, as you say, it's, it's somewhat er erroneously called a choke, it's actually a, a vascular blood restraint. It's, it's somewhat er erroneously called a choke, it's actually a, a vascular blood restraint. It's, it's somewhat er erroneously called a choke, it's actually a, a vascular blood restraint. You're, you're cutting off the circulation through the carotid arteries. And after about six seconds or so, the person loses consciousness. How dangerous has that proved to be over the course of, I mean, given what you know? Every single day, millions and millions of vascular neck restraints are applied at the, you know, hundreds of thousands of schools around the world that teach jiu-jitsu. Like, there's, there's this, this is, this is the safety uh, from a statistical point. You know, you cannot, I mean, I don't know, point zero 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 one percent I don't know. And it doesn't mean that it hasn't happened of a reported death in practice, right, by someone who knows what they're doing, um, who has any degree of, of training with this, right? This is normally we hear of death when it's used egregiously by someone who doesn't know when to let go. So the amount of pressure and the duration of time that is necessary for someone to to die from the use of a vascular neck restraint is is substantial. Now, of course, when you consider drug, alcohol use, other medical conditions, those can play a part, but by and large, the, the, the technique has been deemed safe, right, in, in all the studies that have taken place, and just anecdotally, throughout the country and, and, and throughout the world, in regular practice of martial arts, these are used all the time. What an appropriately timed conversation, eh? If only cops knew more Brazilian jiu-jitsu chokeholds and mounts. Maybe so many wouldn't have far-right sympathies and racist views and end up disproportionately targeting black people. Really, the sad thing here is that apparently in New York, they've been prevented from making contact with a suspect's torso. And that's what made all those excessive punches, quote-unquote, necessary. 
I mean, I'm no martial arts expert, but downplaying the potential dangerousness of a chokehold, especially when there are so many variables at play with a suspect versus a much more controlled and less stressful martial arts situation, is just so irresponsible. Bill Smock, police surgeon with the Louisville Metro Police Department, has said that these types of neck restraints are dangerous even in police training. He knows of at least three officers who suffered strokes during training when the techniques were used on them. He's quoted in the Washington Post as saying, There is no such thing as making it safe with proper training. Any pressure to the neck is dangerous and can cause serious physical injury, rips to the artery, damage to the internal organs, stroke, and death. I don't care what you call pressure to the neck, it is all strangulation and it is all dangerous. And here's Sam, as usual, bringing just one side of this conversation to his audience with someone who clearly wouldn't be objective because they have a business to promote. Oh, yeah, this is fucking awful. But you know what was even worse than this? Sam's horrendous takes from right after the murder of George Floyd, who in fact wasn't killed because of a baton or a gun or a taser or excessive punches. But let's revisit Sam's take from back then. Now, I don't know anything about Derek Chauvin, the cop who knelt on his neck. It's quite possible he's a terrible person who should have never been a cop. He seems to have a significant number of complaints against him. Though as far as I know, the details of those complaints haven't been released. And he might be a racist on top of being a bad cop. Or he might be a guy who was totally in over his head and thought you could restrain someone indefinitely by keeping a knee on their neck. I don't know. I'm sure more facts will come out. But whoever he is... I find it very unlikely that he was intending to kill George Floyd. Think about it. He was surrounded by irate witnesses and being filmed. Unless he was aspiring to become the most notorious murderer in human history, it seems very unlikely he was intending to commit murder in that moment. You see the fucking excuse-making here? How is this relevant? So what if he didn't wake up and think, oh yeah, I want to murder someone today? Or what people are upset about is that he did murder someone. It's possible, of course. But it doesn't seem like the likeliest explanation for his behavior. What I believe we saw in that video was the result of a tragic level of negligence and poor training on the part of those cops. Or terrible recruitment, right? It's possible that none of these guys should have ever been cops. I think for one of them, it was only his fourth day on the job. Just imagine that. Just imagine all the things you don't know when you're a new cop. Will someone think of the cops, please, in the George Floyd situation? And it could also have been a function of bad luck in terms of Floyd's underlying health. It was reported that he was complaining about being unable to breathe even before Chauvin pinned him with his knee. And the truth is the knee on his neck might not have been the only thing that caused his death. It could have been the weight of the other officer pinning him down. This is almost certainly what happened in the case of Eric Garner. It seems that half the people on earth believe they witnessed a cop choke Eric Garner to death in that video. 
That does not appear to be what happened. Okay, when Eric Garner is saying, I can't breathe, he's not being choked. He's being held down on the pavement by several officers. Now, being forced down on your stomach under the weight of several people can kill a person, right? especially someone with lung or heart disease. In the case of Eric Garner, it is absolutely clear that the cop who briefly attempted to choke him was no longer choking him. If you doubt that, watch the video again. Oh, fuck. Like, I just, I have no words. Now, I obviously have no idea what was in the minds of the cops in Minneapolis. And perhaps we'll learn more at trial. And perhaps there'll be a tape of Chauvin using the N-word in another context. And that'll bring a credible allegation of racism into the case. This fucking guy and his theme of literal N-word tapes as proof of racism. Remember this take from a few episodes ago? In Trump's case, I'm more or less sure that he is guilty as charged. But again, the question is, are these utterances evidence of the crime? And So what utterances are ones that fall into the... I mean, I'm curious. What what has Trump said that makes you think he's a racist? For, the thing that's truly dispositive for me is that, that I believe I know to a moral certainty what he's like behind closed doors, right? And I know that the Apprentice tapes exist and that you can hear him using the N-word with abandon, not, you know, like it's linguistics class and he's talking about the power of the word, but he's using it because that's what he calls black people when he's, you know, totally unguarded. So I guess I would be worried about setting the bar at you have to be a celebrity who's taped on camera repeatedly using the N-word and anything short of that is not. That's not the bar. Anyway, back to his views on Chauvin and BLM. And it seems to me that Chauvin is going to have a very hard time making sense of his behavior. But most people who saw that video believe they have witnessed with their own eyes, beyond any possibility of doubt, a racist cop intentionally murder an innocent man. That's not what that video necessarily shows. As I said, these videos can be hard to interpret even while seeming very easy to interpret. And these cases, whether they have associated video or not, are very different. A Michael Brown is reported to have punched a cop in the face and attempted to get his gun. As far as I know, there's no video of that encounter. But if true, that is an entirely different situation. If you're attacking a cop, trying to get his gun, that is a life and death struggle almost by definition, for the cop. And in most cases, it will justify a lethal use of force. And honestly, it seems that no one within a thousand miles of Black Lives Matter is willing to make these distinctions. An attitude of anti-racist moral outrage is simply not the best lens through which to interpret evidence of police misconduct. I've seen many videos of people getting arrested, and I've seen the outraged public reaction to what appears to be the inappropriate use of force by the cops. One overwhelming fact that comes through is that people, whatever the color of their skin, don't understand how to behave around cops so as to keep themselves safe. Ah, yes. If only people understood how to behave better than cops. 
Please subscribe via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes to hear the full episode. By supporting on Patreon, you'll get access to all Patreon-exclusive content, including Woking Up and early releases of Polite Conversations too, as well as special patron events like AMAs and Skype chats. If you enjoy the show, do consider supporting, because without listeners like you, deep dive content like this isn't possible.